Great. What I would like you, please, to do is to turn with me to the book of Jeremiah, chapter 2. Jeremiah, chapter 2. Last week, we looked at Psalm 90, and verses 14 to 17, and we saw that Moses wrote that psalm, one of the oldest psalms within the book of Psalms, and how he rightfully encouraged us to be satisfied in the Lord. And um, so I want to carry on with that theme, being truly satisfied in God. But I would like us just to look at today um, just what God says through his word to the church about being satisfied in him. And so I would love for you just to turn to Jeremiah chapter 2. And we're going to read from verses 10 to 13. As we saw last week, Moses coming out of an experience in the wilderness with the nation of Israel. And uh, we understood that uh, the 12 that went into the land of Canaan came back and they gave a report and it was initially a good report, but only two of the men gave a report to say, hey, we can go in. The other 10 didn't, and so the rebellion started within the nation of Israel, and they didn't want to enter into the land. And Moses wrote Psalm 90 out of that context. And uh, he was writing on um, that we shouldn't murmur, we shouldn't complain, uh, we shouldn't rebel against the things of God, but we need to be satisfied in God. And so we covered that, and it was great just to hear that some of our small groups delved into that subject matter this past week, and so this coming week again, we'll be sharing the notes with our small groups, as most of our groups will be back. And so we see that God has a huge desire for us to be satisfied in Him. And um, John Piper, as you remember, said that God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in him. And so it goes without saying that we need to ask ourselves the question, just how satisfied are you in God today? How satisfied? Because God will be glorified in you to the degree that you are satisfied in him. The Westminster Catechism says, man's chief end is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. Again, how much are you enjoying God at the present moment? Because certainly the gospel opens up the way for us to be satisfied in God, but also to enjoy him. And I understand that we go through seasons. Israel wasn't that satisfied in God when they went through the 40 years of their wilderness experience. There are times when God disciplines us, when we don't feel that satisfied in him. But the Hebrew writer says that when God is disciplining us, it is so that we can become more like him in character and in nature. 
and he says that we grow in righteousness, we grow in holiness when we go through that period of time. And so we see here that that's what happened last week in our message. This week, we turn to this passage in Jeremiah, and um, we find Jeremiah here in chapter 2. Now, Jeremiah was quite an amazing man. Jeremiah was perhaps about 20 years old when God called him in the 13th year of Josiah's reign. Jeremiah's father, Hilkiah, was a priest, as was his father before him. And young Jeremiah was also expected to serve at the altar and be a priest. He may have even been at the age where he could have stepped into that type of ministry to a priest. But God called Jeremiah to be a prophet. The priest worked primarily in the Old Testament to preserve the past by protecting and maintaining the ministry in the sanctuary. But the prophet labored to change the present so that the nation would have a future. That's very, very interesting, the function of a prophet. When the prophet saw the people going in a wrong direction, he sought to call them back to the right plan. That's what's interesting. If you had a choice in those days, you would much rather be a priest than a prophet. Prophet wasn't well loved within the Old Testament, whereas priests were. As you remember, priests tried to preserve the past. A prophet tried to get things right in the present so that there could be a future for the people. And we see that this is exactly what Jeremiah did does in the book of Jeremiah. The problem that Jeremiah was addressing in the book of Jeremiah was that of idolatry, the chasing of the false gods. Jeremiah called God's people to return to the true God and to abandon their idolatry. When I read this passage of Scripture, my first thoughts were, what does this have to do with us today? We don't worship gods of wood or stone, but then as I thought through it, I realized that it has everything to do with us actually today because God's Word is very relevant, even for us now. And so the question that we need to ask ourselves is this, what is idolatry? It is basically putting something else in God's place. Defined that way, we see that idolatry is all around us. What are our idols? We may ask the question this way, what is more important to us than God? Those are the things that are our idols, they are very many. At what point does something good become an idol, you may ask? It becomes idolatry when we begin to believe more strongly in a secular power than in God's power. 
when we put something other than God on God's throne, that is when something becomes idolatry. And this is what was happening in the book of Jeremiah. And these are some of the things that Jeremiah was addressing. And as a prophet, he became very unpopular. At times he had to run away from the people and that's why the Bible defines him, the people defined him as the weeping prophet because he didn't only weep for himself, but he wept for the people of Israel. He captured the heart of God for the people and that's what the prophet does. He captures God's heart, he tries to bring it over to the people so that they can understand what's going on in God's heart and then he directs them in a direction that they need to go. My friends, I believe that within today's situation that we face all around the world, we need people who are prophets. Maybe not with the capital P, but certainly people with the smaller P that could speak into the context of our own lives, can speak into the context of the world. My friends, what we do need to realize here is as we look at the scripture, that Jesus truly is the prophet with the capital P. And he desires, as the scripture says in the book of Hebrews, that God would speak through him in our times today. I think all of us were quite shocked when we turned on the news and we saw the development in America over this past week. We need prophets who speak the true word of God into situations and we need to capture the hearts of people. And you see that even in our day and time that people would put people on a throne and that would become their gods. My friends, no person ought ever to occupy the place upon the throne that God occupies. Only he, and he is the only one that we look to for salvation, the only one we look to for deliverance. And Jeremiah speaks to the people and he speaks to them in that context. In those days, they did exactly the same thing as we do today. They carved out for themselves, gods in the small g word, the small letter word, and they abandoned the God. And so this is the context in which Jeremiah is speaking to the nation um, of Judah, the nation of Israel, and he wants to redirect them back to the God in whom they needed to find their satisfaction. As a matter of fact, in Jeremiah chapter 2, the first couple of verses, he speaks to them about that relationship that they had once with him. And he characterizes it as a relationship that a man has with his wife. And the beauty when that relationship started budding, they got married, and the excitement that they enjoyed. And he says, hey, Jeremiah. Jeremiah says to the nation of Judah, he says, hey, Judah, hey, Israel, you know, uh, uh, this is where I'm coming from. You had such an amazing relationship with God. But now, as time progresses, you've exchanged that relationship for other gods. 
And he says, no longer are you satisfied in your relationship with him. It turns my attention back to about 37 years ago. I was in America. I was my first year in Bible college. And um, I was asked to go and preach in a church in an area. Some pastor took a risk with me. His son was within the Bible college situation with me. They were enamored by the South African context that we came out with, and he asked me to preach in his church. And I remember going into his church, and this was the first sermon I preached in um, America as a young boy of about 18 years old. Um, And um, I remember, it was about 35 years ago, and I, I remember preaching from this passage of Scripture And my fondest memory was as I was just finding my way, trying to give them something at least that was biblical, you know, I saw one guy that Sunday morning came to know Jesus. And I remember looking at the scripture and I thought, you know, everybody knows it, but let me preach a known truth. And here someone came to know Jesus. And it was from this passage of scripture. So I would like us to read this passage of scripture as we understand the background from which Jeremiah writes, and Jeremiah chapter 2, verses 10 to 13 says this, cross over to the coasts of Cyprus and look, send the Kedah and observe closely. See if there has ever been anything like this. Has a nation ever changed its gods? Yet they are not gods at all. But my people have exchanged their glorious God for worthless idols. Be appalled at this, you heavens, and shudder with great horror, declares the Lord. My people have committed two sins. Firstly, they have forsaken me, the fountain of living water, or the spring of living water, and have dug their own cisterns, broken cisterns, which cannot hold Water. Reminds me of the scripture in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 6 says, which says, But godliness with contentment is great gain. Let me read it again. 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 6 says, But godliness with contentment is great gain. And my friends, when we start to lose Godliness within our lives, meaning to follow after God. And when we no longer have contentment within our lives, where there is a sense of dissatisfaction within our lives, we start to lose out. And that is when we start to develop our own human gods to satisfy ourselves. And Jeremiah speaks into this Context. As a matter of fact, in chapter 2, he uses 10 pictures of how the nation of Israel turned this dissatisfaction into worshiping other idols than God. And we're not going to look at them. But just the first two was the illustration of the unfaithful wife running away from her husband. And then, of course, the one of um, Jesus being 
the fountain of living water and exchanging him for broken cisterns. So here we see that Jeremiah comes and he says, my people have committed two evils or two sins. They have forsaken me, the spring of living water, and have dug out cisterns, broken cisterns, which can hold no water. My friends, in the New Testament, the Bible very clearly teaches us that Jesus is the fountain of living water. He is the source of our satisfaction. We need to eat the bread that he gives us and we need to drink the water that he provides for us. And out of that sense, there comes a deep-centered satisfaction within our lives. And that's when we start to live life. That is when we can start to embrace life as we have it. That is when we can enjoy other things, but first truly be satisfied in God. And I remember just speaking about this passage previously, and uh, there is that deep sense of me going back and remembering some of the experiences that I had with Jesus. And the deep satisfaction that came into my life when he was enough for me. And out of that sense of enough, my friends, God consecrates everything that we do as being holy that is within the context of his word. So for instance, our work becomes a work of honor unto God when we are deeply satisfied in him. Our adventure activities become an activity that is sacred to God when we find our satisfaction within him. Our children become sacred unto God when he has the first place within our lives. The possessions that we have become sacred in God's eyes when we are truly satisfied within him. And so Jeremiah says to the nation, nation of Israel, find your satisfaction in God. And I really do believe that this is a word for us in 2021, that we need to turn our eyes towards Jesus. We need to find him as the lover of our souls. He needs to release his living water within our lives, quench our thirst, and then we will treat our wife the way that we need to. We'll honor our husband in the way that we need to. We will lead our children in the ways that we need to because God is our source. He is on the throne within our lives. And Jeremiah makes it very, very clear to the nation of Israel that this is where they have started to wander off because no longer was God 
on the throne within their lives. Their hobbies were no longer a ministry because their hobbies were on the throne and not God. My friends, even something as good as a hobby can become an idol within our lives when God is not on the throne. There is something that we need to really look at in the scripture where it says, for my people have committed two evils. Firstly, they have forsaken me, the fountain of living water. And I remember just playing around with the word the. He is the, and we should put the T there in capital letters. He is the fountain of living water. And it reminds me of John chapter 14, verse 6, where Jesus answered and he said, I am the way and the truth and the life. No man comes to the Father but through me or except through me. And my friends, the word the way, the word the truth, the word the life addresses every aspect of our lives for Jesus to be on the throne. I've got to ask us the question, who is truly on the throne of our lives? The decisions you make, how much time do you spend just talking to God about that? That determines who actually is on the throne of our lives. You know, he says, Jesus said, I am the way. My friends, there is no other way to God but through Jesus. He is the, the way. How does that sit with you? How does that sit with you and your friends? How does that sit with you and the company that you keep? Are you authoritatively with a deep sense of conviction? Are you able to say, when the conversation comes up and people ask you the reason for your faith, are you able to say to them, Jesus is the way, Jesus is the truth, and Jesus is the life. No man comes to the Father but through him. This is so basic, but it's still so profound within the age that we live. How prized is Jesus within our lives? Is there still that sense of excitement that burns within your heart for Jesus? And you'd say, well, Piet, you just don't understand. I'm dealing with issues like the coronavirus. I've got a friend, and I just got an email from him this week, his whole family has been touched by the virus and it's a pastor in England and, and, and they're all locked up for the next two weeks. And he said, you know, I'm so tired. And some of us would say, don't you know what I'm going through? And you're asking me whether Jesus is on the throne of my life. You may say, you know, my work is so tough or I've lost my job. My friends, the question is, particularly during those times, is Jesus on the throne? Or are we taking matters into our own hands?
Matthew chapter 13, verse 44 says, The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again. And then in his joy went and sold all he had and bought that field. My friends, this parable teaches us just how valuable Jesus is. We have people from all different works of life coming to our church. We have people from all different nations coming to our church. The last time we counted, there was between 35 to 37 different nationalities. We have people coming from all different church groups and experiences to our church. But the one thing that we as a church try and preserve is this fact, that we need to encounter Jesus. That's what the gospel is all about. And it's amazing how people come from different church groups, from different nations, and they walk in here, and so often, for the first time, people will encounter Jesus, and their lives would be transformed. You know what, friends? Jesus didn't come to make our lives better. He didn't come to make your life better. But Jesus came to transform your life. Jesus said, or Paul said in 2 Corinthians 5.17, he says, if any man is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old things have passed away. Behold, you have become new. My friends, when Jesus is on the throne of our lives, when we become satisfied in Jesus, he continues to transform us. Yes, it is true. On that day when we encounter Jesus for the first time, everything changes, my friends. And then there is a continued transformation that takes place. Jesus doesn't want us to look at our experience as something where life is just getting better or I'm just getting better. It's got nothing to do with being better. It has everything to do with being transformed within him. That is what true satisfaction does within our lives. When we are satisfied in Jesus, that is when we truly become Transformed. I want to ask you the question. And I ask myself this question. When last have you seen an area within your life truly be transformed? I've had to grapple over the last year just with the issues that you and I are facing. And I had to grapple with the whole idea of do I just want a better life? So many people come to Switzerland and they just want a better life. God hasn't called us to a certain place to have a better life. He's called you to have a transformed life where we follow Jesus and where the gospel affects our lives and affects other lives. And in the process, there may be times when we have a better life. But my friends, if I'm living in Switzerland and I'm looking for a better life, I'm going to make decisions based on a better life, not on a transformed life. And there's a huge difference between that. You go and read the Gospels. You go and read the book of Acts. 
If you go and read the letters, all of the content of the letters of Paul and the other guys speaks about a transformed life within God. My friends, when Jesus is on the throne and we are deeply satisfied or we longing for him, there is a transformational process that happens, which is a joy. It's hard. We've got to make certain adjustments, but as he transforms us, we can make adjustments. And that's when Christianity becomes worthwhile living, but also worthwhile sacrificing for. If you just want a better life, you certainly not going to make any sacrifices that the Bible calls for. Because oftentimes the sacrifices that the Bible calls for does not put us or push us into the context of a better life. Like I said, sometimes when we are transformed, that will happen. Paul said, I've learned what it means to have a lot, but I've also learned what it means to have a little. That's why godliness with contentment is great gain. My friends, as the scripture says here, the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again. And then in his joy went out and sold all he had and he bought that field. My friends, when we are satisfied within him, that's what our attitude would be like with Jesus. We run after Jesus. We chase after Jesus. In the midst of pursuing our career, in the midst of pursuing maybe living in another country, and I'm speaking to Lyft International Church in particular here. We've been here for seven years. Possibility we may be able to get our permanent residency, but if I pursue that instead of God, I'm pursuing the wrong thing. Pursuing the wrong thing. Pursue God and trust him for the rest. There's a big difference. Big difference. Jesus is the most precious person, thing, I may call him that, that we can run after. And of course, Matthew 6.33 tells us very clearly that when we seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, then all of the other things will be handed unto us. Get our priorities right. He needs to be on the throne. But what makes this very special, friends, is this. Not only do we chase after Jesus, not only when we find that hidden treasure in a field and we go out and we sell all we have to buy that field, because Jesus is so precious to us. Read what he says in the next verses. He says in Matthew chapter 13, verses 45 to 46, he says, again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant looking for fine pearls. 
when he found one of great value, he went away and sold everything he had and bought it. This is how much God values us. We are like the fine pearls to Jesus. He saw you as that fine pearl within the field. And when he saw you, he went out because he saw you of great value. And he went away and he sold everything he had and he bought it. My friends, that's a message of the gospel. When Jesus saw you, he bought you, not with silver or gold, but he bought you with his precious, precious blood. Not with silver or gold, but with his precious, precious blood. Because that was the only currency that was worthful enough to buy you when you were discovered in that field. You like like a pull to him. You're so invaluable. Not only do we highly value God, but God highly values you. And when we put those two things together, my friends, there is a deep sense of satisfaction within us, within our relationship. Do you know what the problem is? Number one, firstly, oftentimes we do not value Jesus like we should. It's true. I know it. Oftentimes I don't value him the way that I need to. As the fountain of living water. That source that gives me the satisfaction that I need. But equally, oftentimes, when I look at myself, yes, it is true that I was lost within my sins, that there was nothing that was valuable about me. But you know what? That's not how God saw us. When you were lost in your sins, the Bible says that even while we were sinners, God died for the ungodly. When you and I were ungodly, God saw something within you and I. As a matter of fact, he saw through the ungodliness and he saw a fine pearl. A fine pearl. And when he saw that fine pearl, prophetically, before the foundations of the earth, he sent the only one who could redeem us to live out our true value as that fine pearl. And he sent Jesus on that cross. And he died and he purchased us with his precious blood. And he took all of that ungodliness off of us. And he didn't make us better. No, he transformed us into something new. So how? when we understand that God sees us as that fine pearl, and when we see that he is the one who loved us so much, how in the world can we displace him from his throne? How can we devalue him as the fountain of living water? And start to dig out a cistern, that earthly type of rock or substance 
which the Bible says does not hold water, and we start to drink from something as worthless as a cistern when we can drink from something which is, has, has, has such worth like the fountain of living water. Have you ever drunk from a fountain? Switzerland. Wow, the water's pretty cool here. You drink from it, and then you go back maybe to some other countries and you get the water out of the tap. You drink it, and you almost want to spit it out. That's the comparison here. Go and drink some water in the mountains of Switzerland, and you taste the, the beauty of the water, the taste that, oh, there is, a, I almost want to say, a sweetness within the water. And when you've drunk that, and you try and drink the water from your tap, from your faucet, you drink from it, doesn't taste good. But the problem is, the longer we drink from the tap, the more content we get with that water until we go back to the spring, to the fountain, and we drink from that. And then we realize who he is. My friends, I don't want to go any further. I wanted to exalt Jesus here. I wanted us to just have a look this morning as this year in 2021 as a church, as a people, we pursue Jesus, the fountain of living water. We pursue him who is the life. He is the way and he is the truth. We pursue him. And out of that, my friends, he makes all things beautiful in his time. But in his time, we become impatient when we're on the throne. We become impatient when we drink from the tap and not from the fountain. We become dissatisfied when we drink from the tap and not from the fountain. We're no longer satisfied with the things of God. We've got to go to other things to satisfy us even good things. My friends, this morning, let us draw near to God. Let us repent of displacing him within our lives. I was sent to scripture this morning by someone and they didn't know what I was preaching on and it's found in Acts chapter three where it says that times of refreshing will come as we Repent. Repentance, it's a time of repentance so that the times of refreshing may come. My friends, there is no times of refreshing without repentance. And we're gonna look a little bit more at that next week as we seek to be truly satisfied in God. But for now, for this morning, particularly for those of us who understand what I've talked about this morning, we've been Christians for years, but we've displaced God with a man-made object and it's like water out of a tap instead of water out of a fountain. If you find yourself there, my friend, it, uh, you need to repent. That means you need to say, God, forgive me. And you need to start drinking from the fountain and no longer from the tap. My friends, that's what repentance is. And I would call you to do that. If you're not a believer today, you need to hear the part which says that Jesus is the way there's no other way to God but through Jesus. He is the truth. There are no other truths to qualify that but the Bible. And he is the life. You've got to live your life through him. Then 
you will experience eternal life. And only this way, Rex.